Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and this is Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Well, we continue our series, The Ten Commandments, today with a message entitled, Observing the Sabbath. So let's turn in our Bibles to Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 to 11, as we join Dr. Newfeld now. Recently, I found an article in the archives of the New York Times, and it was entitled, Bring Back the Sabbath. It was written by a woman, a Judith Shulovitz. Now, Shulovitz chronicled how Sabbath observance has virtually disappeared, but, says Shulovitz, it has disappeared even in the lives of churchgoers. Now, is she right, and does it matter? Now, I'm old enough to remember the tail end of the Sabbath laws in this country, and if you don't know, in 1985, the Supreme Court of Canada struck down what up till then had been called the Lord's Day Act, which prohibited work on Sunday. And the thinking in 1985 was that this law repressed non-Christians from doing lawful business on Sunday. And since then, and gradually, every single retail business has opened up on Sundays, and Sunday, of course, has become like every other day. Now, before I move on, let me relay a little experience. Not long ago, a young man appeared at my door in order to sell us something, and it was Sunday. And my wife spoke to him, and that regardless of what he was selling, we were Christian people. We didn't do work on Sunday or conduct business on Sunday. Young man looked genuinely confused. He had never heard of anyone not doing business on Sunday. Where did that come from? But there was a day in this country when you filled up your car on Saturday because no gas station would be open on Sunday. All grocery stores were closed. We didn't have malls as we have them today, but if we did, they would have had empty parking lots. Semis didn't drive on Sunday. The country basically shut down. So what did people do? Well, many simply went to church in the morning and in the evening. Afternoons were spent with family and friends, and for my part, that's how I got to know all my relatives. Every Sunday afternoon was spent either in our home or in somebody else's home visiting and deepening relationships. If anyone had work to catch up on, let's say Monday morning, you know, most people frowned on that kind of activity being done on Sunday night. And as you know, those days are gone. We have replaced a cultural Sabbath with a personal day off or a time off, and one of the consequences is individualism. Because we all have different times off, the place of family gatherings has fallen off drastically. In order to get family and friends together, you have to figure out everyone's schedule, and that's no easy task. And furthermore, the idea that we would be at church morning and evening is shocking to a lot of people. I mean, how long do you want to be there after all? Now, everyone relax. I'm not going to be hankering after the olden days, but I think it's important for us to realize that, that Sabbath once played an important place in North American culture. The labor legislation that makes it illegal for employers to drive their employees to the point of exhaustion, well, that comes from our Sabbath laws. Yeah, Sabbath laws made it illegal to give anyone crushing seven-day-a-week work. Now, at the risk of belaboring the point, let me suggest that what has replaced Sabbath is recreation. I may talk about that later, but let's get to the fourth command. If you don't know, this is a series on the Ten Commandments, and I would suggest that no command is as controversial in the world today as that regarding Sabbath. But let's start by reading the command. I'm reading Exodus 20, verses 8 to 11. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. 
Six days shall you labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So the word Sabbath in Hebrew, it's Shabbat. It means to stop or to cease. And so the Sabbath is the stopping day. It's the day when all work ceases. And the command begins with the word remember. The idea that the ancient Israelites were to remember it may be because Israel already had, before they got to Mount Sinai, an interaction with Sabbath. See, if you go back to Exodus 16, you're going to find that Israel, after having left Egypt, came to a desert area. It's called the Wilderness of Sin. It was in that place where God gives them the miracle of the manna. And every single day, miraculously, and this went on for 40 years, God rained bread from heaven for the people to eat. And so as they got up in the morning, the ground would be filled with manna, and the people would gather as much as they needed, but it was only good for one day. So if you kept it for more than a day, it would breed worms and it would begin to stink. However, something changed in the consistency of this bread every Friday. See, on Friday, they were to gather twice as much as they normally would so that on the next day, which would be Saturday or the Sabbath, all work would cease and they would no longer be gathering manna on that day. And miraculously, the bread would have no worms on that day. And so this was to teach Israel that there was to be no work done on Saturday or the Sabbath. Now, this was already at the time of the giving of the Ten Commandments, the practice in Israel. And so the word, remember, in the fourth command, recalls that which is already happening. They're to remember. They're not to gather manna on Saturday. They're not to work on Saturday. But in the fourth command, they are told why. This day is holy. That is, they are to think of this day as distinct and different from all other days. This day is set aside for God. Now then, the matter is explained. Verse 9 says, six days shall you labor and do all your work. Now, that's not so much of a command, but a prohibition. You're not allowed to work beyond the six days. After six, work comes to an end. Rest is required. Now to verse 10. The seventh day, says the text, is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. Now, I'm going to stop here and observe something that when you think of it, it's really interesting. You know, when I began this series on the Ten Commandments, I said that the first four commands, of which this is the last of the four, are commands that teach us how to love God, and then the last six teach us how to love our neighbor. But the fourth command is not so easily divided up in that way. And that's to say, it does not just teach us to love God, it also teaches us to love our neighbor. Notice the last part of verse 10. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. Now, apart from the fact that your livestock was not to be working, you'll also notice that your servants get the day off. Your children have the day off. Any foreigner in the land gets that day off. And this is an astonishing law when you think about it. Because in most of the societies around Israel, servants and slaves would be considered as property. And so if you wanted to work your property to death, well, that was up to you, but not in Israel. Now, the issue of servants and of the morality of slavery, I'm going to leave that to another time. 
Suffice it to say that whatever you think of slavery, slavery in Israel was very different than slavery, let's say, in the United States and in the Western world. But again, I don't want to get off track. When Jesus said that man was not made for the Sabbath, but Sabbath was made for man, he meant that God instituted Sabbath to bless the lives of men and women, not to add other burdens to their lives. Sabbath is a loving act by a gracious God. Now to verse 11. Here we find two reasons for the Sabbath. First, the Sabbath is arranged as it is, for God made the world in six days, and he rested on the seventh. And therefore, Sabbath is learning to order your life after God's pattern. Sabbath then conforms your life to the life of God. It allows you to think about the relationship between work and rest from the divine perspective. Life, we find out, is not about endless working, nor is it about a life of endless leisure. There is a balance between work and leisure, but where is that balance? How do we find it? A lot of people in our day today don't know how to find it. But the fourth command teaches us that we learn how to balance work and rest from God himself. We follow his example. Now, the second reason for the Sabbath is found in Deuteronomy 5.15. Remember that Deuteronomy is a sermon given by Moses in which he reinforces the law. He encourages a new generation who wasn't there at Sinai to be faithful to the commands at Sinai. And when it comes to the Sabbath, Moses adds these words. I'm reading Deuteronomy 5, verse 15. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. That's to say that on that day, when you give your servant a day of rest, you are also to remember that you were once a slave and the Lord rescued you and gave you rest. Therefore, rescue your servant from his or her labor on this day. Demand nothing of him or her but to rest. Remember to be merciful to him or her as God was merciful to you. You know, some things don't mix. Oil and water, plaids and polka dots. It's not that these couplings never occur, but our minds don't really readily pair them. The same holds true with our pains and joys, both expected, but we rarely consider them as simultaneous. But God adjusts our thinking. The Bible reminds us that joy can be found in trials and our tears can be turned into laughter. It's not instant or self-generating, but a matter of God's grace working within us, like gold refined in fire. Joy can be found in the midst of struggle. So to encourage you as our free gift this month, we want to send you a combo CD series from Back to the Bible Canada and Laugh Again called Joy in Tough Times. Five messages from Dr. John in five joy-filled Laugh Again episodes. Joy in Tough Times, our free gift to you just for calling 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. I'm not telling you any secrets when I tell you that the question of Sabbath is a very controversial question indeed. You know, there are those in the Seventh-day Adventist camp and others who argue that Saturday is still in effect today. 
since the New Testament never revoked this, and since the New Testament does not teach that Sunday is the day of worship, Seventh-day Adventists teach that Christians are still called upon to worship on Saturday, even as the ancient people of God did. Sometimes I've even seen Isaiah 56, verses 5 and 6, given as a justification for that belief. That passage in question is about the last days when the kingdom of God finally reigns, and the passage says, And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord, to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord, and be his servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it, and holds fast my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. You know, the thinking from this passage is that in the last days, the Gentiles will attach themselves to the house of Israel and they will hold fast to the covenant. They will keep the Sabbath and those are the ones that get saved. And so at least, so this argument goes, we prove ourselves to be the people of God by, among other things, keeping Sabbath on Saturday. Now, I need to respond here. The very next line in that passage from Isaiah also says that the burnt offerings and sacrifices of the Gentiles, which they will offer on the altar, that also will be acceptable. Now, I mention that because if you're going to make the argument that Isaiah 56 is about the church keeping the Saturday Sabbath today as their day of worship, then from Isaiah 56, we've also got to argue that the temple sacrificial system must also be practiced among Christians. And therefore, it's clear to me that Isaiah 56 just can't be used to make an argument for Saturday worship any more than it can be used to make an argument for us building altars and sacrificing sheep and goats. Isaiah 56 speaks about the millennium and not about the present era. Now, to explain how is going to take more than I have time at this point in time, but Isaiah 56, let me say it again, cannot be applied to the present era, but rather to the era of the millennium. Now, now having said that, let me take you to the other extreme. There are those, and I call them the antinomianists, and they will argue that the fourth command is not in effect at all. Believers don't have to do it, they say. If you want to observe a day of rest, well, just go for it. If you want to do something else, you have the freedom to do that as well. I've already dealt with antinomianism in a previous message, and I won't replay that here. Clearly, the Ten Commandments are all ten in a force today. So the real question is this. What did the early church do with the fourth command? Well, according to Acts 20, verse 7, we find that a change had taken place in the church. The text says, on the first day of the week when we were gathered together to break bread. So here, instead of worshiping on the seventh day, the church worships on the first day. That same pattern is also found in Revelation 1, verse 10. And there John writes, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. So there we see that the word Sabbath has been replaced by the phrase, the Lord's day. That does seem significant, for no observant Jew would have ever referred to the Sabbath as anything but the Sabbath. But the early church talked of it as the Lord's day. Or notice 1 Corinthians 16, 1-2, where Paul speaks about giving an offering. It says, now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. So why give on the first day? And the answer, it's simple. That's when the ancient church worshiped. And then listen to Hebrews 10, 24 to 25. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works 
not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So the practice of the early church, as is described in the New Testament, was clear. The principle of Sabbath is maintained. Rest in worship is maintained, but it is now taken from its uniquely Jewish context. The early church still had Ten Commandments, but they did not practice the fourth command in the uniquely Jewish way. Rather, they transformed the Sabbath into the practice of the Lord's day. Now, that explains what Paul meant when he said in Romans 14, verse 5, he said, one person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. So I want you to take note that the word alike is actually not found in the original Greek text. So let's read it again, leaving out the word alike. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days. You see the difference? There's not a contrast between the person who believes in keeping the fourth commandment as opposed to the person who doesn't. No, no, that's not what it says. This is a contrast between the person who understands the significance of only one day and the person who understands the significance of all days. So, the New Testament, as we've seen, doesn't cancel out the fourth command. But we find a pattern in the historic Christian church. The first day of the week was called the Lord's Day. This day was reserved for two things. It was reserved for worship and also to cease from one's labors. But as you might know, the issue of what constitutes work and what doesn't, well, that consumed the Jewish mind. Remember that the Pharisees made rules about how far you were allowed to walk on the Sabbath and about the actual definition of the word work. Indeed, they condemned Jesus for healing the sick and the dying on the Sabbath. But what's also fascinating is that some of us, those of us who are older, I think, remember Christian rules around the Sabbath, and, and some of us have reacted badly to those rules. So let's talk frankly. What principles can present-day believers place upon their lives so that they keep the Sabbath or the Lord's Day in a way that honors the law of God? We have to be wary of legalism when it comes to the practice of worship and rest. But we must also be wary of antinomianism, which dishonors the Lord who gives the law by simply abandoning the law. See, as a general rule, let's start with the following statement. Followers of Jesus should use the Lord's Day as a way of helping them reorient their lives and give priority to the kingdom of God. So I want to suggest four principles that are helpful in observing the Lord's Day. First, Make sure that a weekly time of worship is a priority for you. Do not miss worship. Don't you dare make kids' baseball or soccer practice make you miss worship. And this will take some work. But let me give you an example. You know, when our son was young and we had enrolled him in hockey, I made an appointment to see the coach. He was a non-Christian man. I told him that we were a Christian family and that Sunday was a sacred day for us. I then asked him if, if he would allow Jonathan to miss Sunday practice. Our coach's response amazed me. He said, hey, listen, I respect your religion, of course. And it was as simple as that. You know, sometime later, while our daughter was attending a Christian school, I noticed a number of activities planned for Sunday that would violate church. I did the same thing. I made an appointment with the activity coordinator. But he gave me a lecture on legalism. He said, no. I said, well, in that case, you'll have to fail my daughter. But take this to the bank. I'm going to make a federal case out of this matter. And then he reluctantly relented. See, I say this because I think 
The fourth command will demand that we seek God's favor and the favor of others, a favor that expresses our concern that we be allowed to worship one day a week. Second principle, make sure that a weekly time of worship and rest lasts for a full day. If at all possible, set aside a 24-hour period of time. Do not deviate from this pattern. There'll be enough time for work during the other six days. In many ways, this becomes a test of your faith. We believe that honoring God by not working for 24 hours will not handicap us. Third principle, keep all work to acts of charity or matters of work of necessity. Look, I have a son-in-law, he's a firefighter. He doesn't violate the fourth command when he works on the Lord's day. Neither did I when I served as a pastor and preached in a pulpit. Keep work to matters of necessity. Finally, fourth, exercise freedom on this day. Some believers will not shop on this day. Good for you. This, I think, is wise. It honors God. Others keep from business discussions. Many decide not to mow their lawns or even do housework. It's not legalism. It's holiness. Some decide to make this day for fellowship with believers. Others choose to use this day to rest alone. But this day must be a day of rest and worship. It must be a day that is lived differently than the other six. But this much is sure. All believers who are serious about following Christ will search their hearts and live in obedience to the fourth command. Make a conscious, habitual decision to honor God on this day. John, when you're talking about the Sabbath, I've got a whole lot of memories. I can remember as a kid going outside and breaking the natural rules, I think, by going out and playing touch football. But the alternative to that, I think, when my parents were younger was you actually did nothing at all. You were like to be quiet and sort of sitting, maybe reading at best. But do either of those really sort of speak to what the Sabbath is about? That's such a good question. Ben, I think we have two kinds of reaction. I mean, there's the one reaction that says, you know, I was raised in legalism, and so I'm not going to let that happen to me again. But now there's this new generation that's been raised without any understanding of Sabbath whatsoever. So the talk of it is so foreign, they just don't even know where to begin. So I think at the basic, we can say that, you know, Sabbath is for two things. It's for rest and it's for worship. And then as we try to unpack that, I mean, how does that actually work in my life? I think we need to give enough freedom, but we need to place enough parameters on that as well. So those two things. Thanks so much, John. And join us again tomorrow right here on Back to the Bible Canada, where we teach the Bible. You know, we'd love to hear from you. We'd love to know how the ministries or ministry resources of Back to the Bible Canada are impacting your life, what you found most beneficial. Is there a specific resource or medium, a message that has brought blessing and encouragement into your life? Not only do your notes and emails offer encouragement, but they allow us to know how we can provide effective Bible teaching ministry. Our mission is to build you up in God's Word and to grow faithful disciples for His church. So touch base, would you? Email us at info at backtothebible.ca or visit us at backtothebible.ca and click on contact and leave your message there. We're so grateful for all you do to support this Bible teaching ministry. For more information or to send a gift, 
call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.